Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news. Scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downing. Welcome into Light the Lamp here on Duck Stream from the Paul Korea studio. I am your host, Alexis Downey. Happy Monday. I hope you had a great holiday weekend and enjoyed the time spent with family and friends and had plenty of yummy food because I know I did. It was so nice to hang out and catch a few sunsets. That's one of my favorite things to do here. I've found I love being at the beach. But the Ducks are heading back out on the road after a three-game homestand. Friday afternoon was a tough showing from the team as they fell to the Ottawa Senators 5-1, to but I felt like Sunday was certainly a different story. This was the last game of the homestand on Sunday evening, but the team did fall to the Seattle Kraken 5-4. to They certainly showed some signs of fight, though, particularly excelling on the power play. However, it just was not enough for a cohesive game from the team to pull out a win. So here are AD's takeaways. It was a big night for the power play, showing much improvement as they went three for four, scoring three goals. Troy Terry, Mason McTavish, and Adam Henrique getting each of those. The team really emphasized special teams in their practice on Saturday, and it certainly paid off in this game as they looked very strong there. I like the contributions we saw from down the roster on Sunday night. Eight different players had points, which in some ways you can expect that with a four-goal night, but it's still good to see where those different contributions are coming from. Now, one thing that was not good, the Kraken got out to an early lead, scoring 33 seconds into the first period. It's hard to fight back in a game when you get down that quickly. And the Kraken definitely had a lot of early chances. And we saw that too when you look at some of the goals that were scored by Seattle. There were a lot of defensive breakdowns that led to those goals. This was certainly tough to watch. In particular, the third goal from the Kraken with Vince Dunn having a wide open lane in the slot, just taking it in and putting it past John Gibson. A positive, though, when you look at the Ducks' stats right now, since the midway point of the month being November 15th, Cam Fowler is tied with Eric Carlson on the Sharks for the most points by a defenseman in the NHL. Fowler has two goals, eight assists for 10 points in his last seven games, and he had two points on Sunday night, really been playing well for the Ducks on the defensive end, an area that they need him to step up in. And the last AD takeaway, John Gibson going down hard in the third period after Seattle scored. Kevin Shattenkirk kind of landed on him a little awkwardly, and Gibson did not return. Anthony Stolarz taking his place in the net. So I'm hoping Gibson is all good and ready to go on this road trip. Now, after the game, we caught up with Troy Terry in the locker room, and he talked about the cycle that this team seems to be in. They'll do good things, but a couple bad things will lead them to be back where they started. So I asked what exactly is being said to try and break that cycle, and he shared some of his thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I know some of it's been, um, you know, there's guys on this team that, you know, have different roles. Everyone has a different role on this team, and... Um, that was, you know, a big talk that we had. Um, some of the older guys said some stuff when we were in St. Louis. And, and truthfully, I think, um, you know, those guys have been, I think that 
line with Leeson, Jones, and McTavish has been probably our best line the last couple of games. I mean, I think, um, you know, that message, you know, those guys have all elevated. And, and you know, for guys like me and Z, um, you know, we're, we're producing and, and we're doing the right things. But um, it's, it's when they have the puck, we need to, you know, make sure we're doing the right things. And um, it's not fair to, you know, the rest of the guys when, you know, everyone's working hard and, say me and Trevor go out there and, and they score and, and, you know, one of us has a breakdown. It's not just us. It's, it's a lot of guys. And, um, it just, it's, it's hard when, you know, we'll go out there, we'll battle and we'll score, we'll tie the game back. And, um, it feels some of the goals that, you know, other teams are scoring on us. They're not necessarily earning them. We're giving them to them. And, and that's when it's really deflating as a team. And, um, you know, it's been a point of emphasis for us. We just need to clean that stuff up and, and stick to you know how we play when we're down because I think you can see it shift in us. We we play hard, we play together, we support each other. We don't just flip the puck out. We we skate to you know support the guy that's got it, and it's just a mindset thing, really. The Ducks will begin their road trip by visiting the Nashville Predators on Tuesday, and it's a bit surprising that there is going to be some games in Nashville because they had to postpone their two games over the weekend against Colorado and Columbus due to a water break in their arena. If you saw the video on Twitter, there was a lot of water in their concourse. So hopefully that is all fixed and they are ready to go on Tuesday night. The team will then head to Dallas on Thursday to take on the Stars. But it's time to go coast to coast to hear some of the best goal calls from around the NHL from over the weekend. Beginning with the Vancouver Canucks and San Jose Sharks game on Sunday. This one came down to the wire, but the Canucks were able to pull out the win to keep their momentum Andre Kuzmenko netted the winner one minute and 12 seconds into overtime. Listen to the call from Canucks' Brendan Batchelor. Miller with a stretch pass. Kuzmenko's got a breakaway in alone. He scores! Andre Kuzmenko scores the first overtime winner of his NHL career. And the Canucks have won their third in a row for the first time this season. They beat the Sharks 4-3 on the goal by Andre Kuzmenko. And he's getting the bear hug from his teammates right now. Andre Kuzmenko went in all alone by himself. JT Miller heads up, sees that he's got an option with Kuzmenko all by himself at the blue line. The offensive blue line goes in and goes glove side on Kakinen. But an excellent play by JT Miller just to play it down Main Street. You saw that the San Jose Sharks defenseman was leaning maybe a little too much to the right-hand side. That was Matt Benning. And Kuzmenko goes all in by himself, goes off the post and in. Canucks take six out of six points on this road trip. One thing I do want to note on the Sharks, and I did talk about him a little bit earlier, but Eric Carlson is the first defenseman in Sharks history to register a 20-point month. He has been outstanding. Moving on to another game on Sunday, the Winnipeg Jets and Chicago Blackhawks. The Blackhawks hosting Winnipeg. This was a shooting gallery from Winnipeg who had 44 shots on goal and a 7-2 win. Kyle Connor had a heck of a shot to extend their lead in the second period, 3-1. Hear the call from Paul Edmonds. Knocked it out of the air, gets it to settle down. Back to where the line for Morrissey. Far side, Connor shooting. Scores! Kyle Connor with a one-timer. An absolute bullet. It's a power play goal. And Winnipeg has restored their two-goal lead. It's 3-1 to one, Winnipeg. 
Another thing to note from this game, Josh Morrissey assisted on three of the Jets' seven goals. Now, this matched the franchise record for the most in a game by a defenseman. And he's just behind Quinn Hughes on the list in the NHL for the most amount of assists this season. Looking at Saturday, the St. Louis Blues and Florida Panthers faced off. This was a huge win for St. Louis, who showed their resiliency as a team as they rallied four goals to win it 5-4 to four in overtime. The team is 8-2 in their last 10 games. St. Louis just keeps rolling. Now, Jordan Cairo would be the one to net the winner, using his speed through the neutral zone and beating out Spencer Knight in the net. Chris Kerber has the call for St. Louis's winner. In behind the net, waiting to break right to left. Slides it ahead. He's got Kairou behind the D. Kairou shoots, he scores! Bring out the Zamboni from a 3-0 deficit to a 5-4 win. The St. Louis Blues get out of Florida with two points on a massive comeback tonight. In the last game, the New Jersey Devils taking on the Washington Capitals. It was a big day for Jack Hughes, who netted his first career NHL hat trick, also the first natural hat trick of the NHL season. If you don't know what that is, it is when a player scores three goals consecutively rather than spread out throughout the game. The Devils had a big 5-1 to one win, and Hughes' third goal came on a two-on-one opportunity. Listen to the call from Devils' Matt Laughlin. You're absolutely right, Chico. You mentioned how engaged uh, Ovechkin has been in this game. Oh. It's noticeable. Oh. Halla breaks it off because Gustafson comes down the ice off the rush. He has Hughes. Hughes shoots. He scores! And let the hats fly! The first NHL hat trick for Jack Hughes. Now, this was Devils head coach Lindy Ruff's 800th career NHL win. He is only the fifth coach to get this mark in NHL history. The team is still at the top of the East and the league, battling with the Boston Bruins for that top spot. And speaking of the Bruins, the NHL unveiled their Winter Classic jerseys on Friday ahead of the Bruins and Penguins matchup on January 2nd at Fenway Park. If you haven't seen them, I'd recommend going and taking a look. The Bruins sport their old bear on the front with the Boston lettering that was inspired by the original spooked bee worn in the 1948 season. And for Pittsburgh, theirs was inspired by the original NHL franchise, the 1925 Pittsburgh Pirates. So go take a look if you haven't seen those. On Sunday, when the Ducks welcomed the Seattle Kraken to town, radio play-by-play -play broadcaster Everett Fitzhugh jumped on Duckstream from the Korea studio to talk about his journey as a broadcaster and how it led him to Seattle ahead of their inaugural year. Listen for more in this next segment. Joined now in studio by the radio voice of the Seattle Kraken, Everett Fitzhugh. Everett, how are you doing? Welcome to the studio. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm doing well. This is this is a nice little <laughs> setup you guys got here. You were walking me uh, through the office on the way in here, and I was like, "This is this is kind of cozy and homey. I like it. This feels good." Thanks for having me. I'm glad you also got to sign the glass behind. I did. You. I did. <laughs> I, I saw that uh, Jackie Redmond was up there. Uh, a handful of players were up there, so my my eyes lit up. <laughs> you want to sign the glass? Absolutely, I want to sign the glass. Well, first off, I want to ask you, how was your Thanksgiving? Yeah. How was the weekend? 
weekend. It was good. Uh, Thanksgiving weekend was good. We actually traveled on Thanksgiving Day. This is the second year in a row we've traveled on Thanksgiving Day. So uh, I got to spend the the holiday in Vegas, uh, which was an interesting experience. A lot more people <laughs> in Vegas on Thanksgiving than I thought there probably should have been. But hey, you know what? It's all good. Uh, but it was good. My wife and uh, my, my new son, he's six months old. We got to spend... Uh, Spend some time together in the morning, and and that was nice. So his uh, his first Thanksgiving was full of banana puree and, <laughs> and bouncing around in the house and taking naps and all that. But uh, it was a good, uh, good relaxing Thanksgiving. Now, being a new dad, yeah. what is it like being on the road and having those conversations, maybe on Facetime yeah. or you know staying in touch? You know, it, it's been difficult in in the in the sense of of. Having to to raise a child over FaceTime is never fun. Uh, we were actually we went out uh, last night to dinner, and uh, my my wife FaceTime me, and my son's there, and he's in his he has this little um this little food truck bouncer, so he's bouncing up and down. And uh, Piper Shaw, who is our television reporter, got a video of me, and I'm standing on FaceTime, bouncing <laughs> and jumping with him. So um, you know, it, it, it's it's being a father has been has been so rewarding. I mean, this has been the best six months of my life. But it, it can be a little difficult when you're away from from your family, and you know, your wife has to do all the wake ups, and she has to do all the dirty diapers, and he's teething now. So you know, having to give him the children's Tylenol and all of that can be a little bit difficult. But, uh, you know, when, when you when you hear the squeals and you, you see the, the pictures of all that's going on at home, it makes it a little bit more worth it. And then when you come home and he's reaching up for you and doing all that. <laughs> so it's been it's been a fun experience. But the road is, has been a little bit tough this year. I will say that. Has he been able to come to some of the home games? Not yet, actually. We're going to uh, his first game will probably be our matinee uh, on Dr. King Day in uh, January. So we'll have a, a one o'clock game against Tampa just because bringing him to a seven o'clock game. Mm-hmm. His bedtime is all kind of wonky after that anyway. So uh, but we'll bring him up there. We already have him the the the, um, uh, the cracking headphones. So oh. we're going to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we'll, his first hockey game will be uh, will be that one. Well, let's go back a little bit and share some of your background yeah. with the listeners, starting with you went to Bowling Green State. So starting there, I'm an Ohio girl. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I know you understand. Uh, but where did the interest in hockey begin? Was it in college mm-hmm. at that point? You know, I grew up in Detroit, which is hockey town, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I was I was exposed to hockey at a very early age. And for me, the Red Wings, when they were winning in the late 90s, they won those back-to-back cups. Everybody was a Wings fan. Didn't matter who you were, the whole city of Detroit and the whole area just rallied and galvanized around this Red Wings team. And actually, I watched a game and the Edmonton Oilers were playing the Red Wings. And at the time, Edmonton had two black players on their team. So for me, that was huge because Mm -hmm. I had never seen people who look like me playing hockey. So that's actually how I got into hockey. And I was more of an Oilers fan growing up because of of Mike Greer and George The Rock and then later Anson Carter uh, was on the team. But, you know, I've always known that I wanted to work in sports. Um, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. So I I fell into broadcasting by accident. Uh, A buddy of mine dragged me off the couch in my dorm room one day and took me to a student (laughs) radio um, uh, meeting. And, uh, you know, everybody in there, they wanted to do the basketballs and the footballs and all the sexy sports. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there were probably three of us who were hockey fans and who could, you know, intelligently talk the sport. So I 
fell into it by being given an opportunity to, to be a color analyst. So my freshman year, I had just turned 18 years old and here I am doing a D one hockey game. And I called my mom immediately and I said, we're, we're going to the NHL. This Aww. was, I, I put all the eggs in the proverbial eggs in the hockey basket uh, after that game. So um, I was the play-by-play guy at Bowling Green for three years. Then I moved to Chicago where I worked for the USHL for uh, a year and a half. And then I went to Youngstown, your hometown, <laughs> uh, and worked for the Phantoms for uh, a season. And then uh, five years in Cincinnati in the ECHL. So you're noticing a pattern here. I've, <laughs> outside of Chicago for a year and a half, my entire life had been spent in Michigan or Ohio. Uh, And then I got the job here in Seattle. So I have to ask you, when you were in Youngstown, did you eat some pasta at the MVR? Oh, I did. (laughs) MVR was one of our sponsors, actually. And they, you want some really good Italian food and and sneakily the best French fries I've ever had. Oh, interesting. Bar none, hands down, the best (laughs) French fries I've ever had in my entire life are in Youngstown, Ohio. It doesn't matter where you go. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter where you go. Every place in Youngstown that serves French fries are just 10 out of 10. I like that take. Yes. Yeah, I've never even thought about that. Best French fries I've ever had. <laughs> but yes, the pasta, it's Youngstown's an old Italian town. Mm-hmm. It's an old hard, uh, hardworking blue collar town. So, you know, a lot of heavy, soulful, you know, comfort <laughs> food there. So you're, you're definitely going to pick up a few pounds if you're eating Youngstown. <laughs> well, your journey has found you in Seattle yeah. now. And you made history becoming the first black radio broadcaster in the NHL. I mean, how has this journey been for you and to get that honor and to be now a voice and a, a statue in the sport? It's been, it's been fun. I think first and foremost, it's been fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's been from, from a, a professional standpoint, it's, it's been very rewarding knowing that what I set out to do, what, 13, 14, 15 years ago, something mm-hmm. like that, 16 years ago, um, what I set out to do is now finally coming true. And, and I can say to myself, man, the first ever professional goal that I set for myself in my life, I was able to achieve it mm-hmm. by the time I was 31 years old. So I'm 33 now. So um, that was really cool. And I think to be able to to be that first black broadcaster is something that I mean, it's been two years and I, I still am trying to put it into words um, mm-hmm. because I don't think anyone ever really sets out to be the first. But right. if you are in that position, I think you owe it to yourself. I think you owe it to the sport. I think you owe it to the culture to to run with that baton, if you will. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I, I became a hockey fan because I saw Mike Greer and George The Rock and Anson Carter uh, play hockey. I'm hoping that there is someone out there who is on the fence about becoming a hockey player or a hockey fan or, or, you know, I used to get made fun of all the time. Like, Oh, you're, you're playing that white boy sport. Why do you want to play that white boy sport? And, you know, I hope that there is someone who's getting teased for liking hockey today who finds my story or who sees Mike Greer, the first black GM uh, with San Jose in the mm-hmm. NHL. Um, I, I hope that they see those figures and say, no, you, you do belong. I do belong within the sport of hockey and within the game of hockey. So it's been, it's been a fun ride so far, but I think the responsibility without, mm. without sounding too cocky or arrogant, I think the responsibility 
that is placed on people like myself who are in these positions of being the first, of being the quote unquote trailblazer, mm -hmm. it's not lost on me. And it's something that I do carry um, very, very carefully. And I, I, I'm very sure to make sure uh, that I, I do right by, by that. How special has it been to be a part of the inaugural season mm. last year, and now you're in your second year in yeah. the NHL, getting your feet into all of these different arenas and just getting to see what the league is like. You know, it's, it's such a unique and rare experience. I mm -hmm. mean, since 2000 or since 92, when the Ottawa Senators came in, we've only had 20 uh, expansion teams, I want to say somewhere around there. So um, to be able to say that I, I got to be with the Kraken and tell this team story from day one, uh, essentially day one and, and provide a voice for that has been amazing. Mm -hmm. And, and I know on the ice, yes, the record wasn't what people would have liked. I, I can blame Vegas for that. It's not <laughs> fair. Vegas has set an unfairly high bar yes. for the rest of expansion history uh, in any sport. Um, but to be able to see the city of Seattle turning into a, a hockey town mm -hmm. has been so much fun. Because being from Detroit, I know what a, a passionate, rabid hockey fan base and a hockey culture looks like. So in Seattle, when you already have um, a pair of Western Hockey League junior teams up there, you've had mm -hmm. tons of minor league hockey over the years. The actual first American team to win the Stanley Cup was the Metropolitans back in 1917. So the hockey history has been in Seattle. Um, the hockey culture has been there, but the NHL hasn't been there. So to be able to see our fans now go from, oh, we're going to go to a Kraken game because it's fun to go to, to now there, we're going to go to a Kraken game because Seattle has Matty Beneers. Seattle is now second place in the division. The Seattle Kraken have won four of their last six games. Whatever it is, we're now seeing that transition of casual uh, hockey fan to becoming, you know, a diehard hockey fan. And that has been a lot of fun um, in, in that regard. And then the second part of your question for me it's been so fun going <laughs> around this league and seeing all these rinks. And I remember playing um, NHL video games as a kid growing up. And, uh, you know, I, I love the pictures of the buildings. I've always been kind of an arena nerd. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, this is the Honda Center was actually one of the buildings I've always wanted to get to because wow. I, rem I remember, was it, oh, um, when did you guys win the cup? Oh, seven? Yes. Oh, seven. Yes. Yeah. So I remember watching that oh, seven Stanley Cup final um, and just the place was rocking. My favorite goalie uh, was J.S. Jaguar. I loved watching mm -hmm. him play back in the day. And, you know, so coming to Anaheim for the first time i was like man this is this is a pretty cool building and then you know you get to go to msg and, and you get mm -hmm. to go to montreal for the first time and you get to go to i guess it's crypto.com arena now the <laughs> arena formerly known as staples yes. uh, and you get to see all the banners there you go to the united center in chicago and hear the anthem for the first time you know all of those little things around the league are just so cool and so special. And, and they always tell us as broadcasters and, and media people, you know, no cheering in the press box. Act mm -hmm. like you've been there before. But the hockey fan, I'm still a fan right. of the game at heart. So it still is really cool uh, to be able to to live out this dream of mine. And, you know, my, my 12, 13-year-old kid comes out in me oh. a lot on, on uh, <laughs> you know, on these trips. So it's been it's been fun. How has it been connecting with the players also in the locker room and 
Do you have any good stories with any of them this year? You know, it's <laughs> been fun this season, actually, because we're allowed back in the locker room. So being able to talk to the guys and uh, to get to know um, to get to know the guys has been has been fun. We have a couple of new dads on our team, mm. uh, Jordan Eberly and Martin Jones. Uh, Eberly just had his second kid. Uh, Martin Jones had his first. They were actually born on the same day, oh. about 15 minutes apart. Wow. Yes. So uh, <laughs> I've got a six month old. They now have month old. So we we've been kind of sharing uh, uh, dad stories and swapping stories. Another one of our players uh, is expecting his first child here um, in, in a couple of months. So him and I have been talking so that that's been kind of cool to connect. But you get to see the personalities of guys. And the one thing that I've always I've always known about hockey players is it doesn't matter how many millions they make. It doesn't matter how many goals they score. They are still just some of the nicest, most mm -hmm. down to earth people. And you walk into that locker room and depending on the guy, they're going to chirp you like, like <laughs> you're their best friend. And it doesn't matter yeah. if you're media, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, who you are. So this group of guys has been really fun to get to know. And it also helps when you have a guy like JT Brown, who just retired and, mm -hmm. and knows a lot of these guys, he and Yanni Gord um, played together in Tampa. He and Carson Soucy and Will Borgen never shut up about Minnesota. Uh, <laughs> so they, they have that bond there. Obviously, John Forsland's been around this league for a long time. My, my color analyst, Dave Tomlinson, he has a really good rapport with a lot of guys and has golfed with a handful of guys too. So to be able to lean on these guys, um, my colleagues, to get to know our players and then mm -hmm. to see that personality come through, it's been a lot of fun. What has made this team so successful this season so far? I think it's a couple things. I think I think number one, it is the the buy-in to what the the vision was initially set out to be. This was going to be a hardworking team. This was going to be a team that was going to be predicated on defense. And last year, you bring in. Um, a good roster of guys, but for mm -hmm. whatever reason, you had to make those trades and, and you ship a few guys out. Then you're left with the core of players who are going to be here for the long haul. Your Jaden Schwartz's, your Jared McCann's, who signed a five-year deal. Um, you know, Adam Larson, Jamie Alexiak. You now have players, and I can go on and on and on, <laughs> Brandon Tanev, Yanni Gord. You now have guys on this team who are going to be here for the long haul and you mm -hmm. can build around. Then you get Matty Beneers in the draft, who is, I mean, you guys have Trevor Zegers and Troy Terry. You know what, yes. you know, you you know what young, skilled, talented players can do. And Matty Beneers is right up there um, with with the 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 most talented skilled mm -hmm. players in the NHL. You go out and you sign Oliver Bjorkstrand and Andre Burakovsky, who's coming off of his second Stanley Cup, one with Washington last year with Colorado. So now you have a, a another championship-winning mindset. You have another mm -hmm. player on the team who knows what it takes to, to get there. And I think one addition that has not been talked about enough publicly – is the addition of Dave Lowry, the assistant coach, who has been around this league for in a coaching capacity for over 20 years, if not longer mm -hmm. than that. Played in this league. Um, he, he really has this loose lighthearted demeanor uh, about him and 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 he loosens up the coaching staff he loosens up the players there's a lot more more uh, ribbing and talking mm -hmm. and, uh, this season and and not that last year wasn't fun it was obviously fun you're in the NHL you play a game for a living you're having fun but it seems like this season there's just a lot more of that jovial 
a spirit around the locker room. And I don't think that Dave Lowry um, is talked enough about that in that regard. So there's a lot of factors uh, that have really brought this team together. And I think in the summer, Ron Francis, our GM, even come out and said, you know, this was a five-year plan, but, you know, we're going to make this a two-and-a-half or three-year plan. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that is really starting to, to come through fruition with the results the team has had. In spite of Philip Grubauer being injured, in spite of Chris Drieger not having played a game for us yet, you still have Martin Jones, who held the fort down for Grubauer when he was injured, and he was a third star of the week last week. Uh, and now this Kraken team is, you know, they've won nine of their last 11 games, and those two losses have only been by one goal, and one was in overtime. So this team has really been finding ways to win and it's just the atmosphere, the locker room, the guys. It's just, it's a lot more communal, I mm -hmm. think, this season. Everett Fitzhugh, so great to have <laughs> you join us here in the Paul Korea studio. Yeah. Thank you for signing the glass. And yes. now when I go home next, I'm going to think about that with the French fries. Go get some French fries. <laughs> have something at MVRs for me. Jimmy's Italian specialties as well. Oh. Love that place. I can go on and on and on about Youngstown food. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. And as always, it is time for my final quack for this episode where I share my last thoughts before the end of the show. I spoke with General Manager Pat Verbeek this morning, that being Monday, to talk about different topics surrounding the Ducks on the newest episode of The Beaker. If you want to check that out, it is running right here on DuckStream as well as wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Thank you for listening to Light the Lamp. I am Alexis Downey. Come back again this week for more Hockey Talk here on DuckStream. This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on DuckStream.